0: This is You Can Adopt, a series which explores and debunks many of the most common misconceptions about adoption in England. You'll hear first-hand experiences from many different people involved in the adoption process, with each episode hosted by recognisable voices sharing their own experiences of adoption. To find out more and to begin your journey towards growing your family, please visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. Now, enjoy the episode.
1: Hello, you're listening to the You Can Adopt podcast with me, Nikki Campbell. And today, I'm delighted to say we're joined by Beth Neal, professor at the University of East Anglia, whose research interests include post adoption contact, birth relatives' perspectives on adoption, post adoption support and adoptive parent recruitment. Now, obviously, this is a topic that gets to the very heart of my life as well. And I guess my career, if you can call it career, because I present the program with Davina McCall, if you can call it present, we just kind of exist within it. It's an extraordinary phenomenon, uh, long lost family. And it's not so much um, a job, it's a mission. It's a calling. And it's all about family contact, those who have lost contact with loved ones, those who have never met adoptive uh, parents and adoptive children in any real sense, obviously. Um, and I've, in my time, um, traced and found a birth mother, some years later birth father, birth siblings as well, all of which is an extraordinary experience, but all of which is in a very different historical context. There are various things. For all sorts of reasons that are different these days, um, Beth. I think that's a a good thing to address later on. How things are so different. So it's it's great to be talking to you. Um, what what is it exactly that you do? If you can just describe your areas of expertise and research.
2: Okay. Well, um, first of all, thanks for having me on this podcast. So. I've been doing research into post-adoption contact. I started in 1996, so that's 26 years now. And the first project I began was following up children who were placed for adoption in that kind of time, 96, 97. And we followed them up for 18 years and talked to the children and then later when they were teenagers talk to their adopted parents, talk to their birth parents. And the focus of that study was on birth family contact and how that was affecting everybody. So that was my first study. But I've carried out a number of other studies related to this topic over the years. I had a little tot up earlier. I think we've spoken to over 700 people with personal experience of adoption. That's, you know, adopted adults, adopted children, birth family members, adoptive parents Um, so it's been a real focus of my career to try and understand um, adoption from all these different perspectives.
1: Mm. And when it comes to contact do you know what I mean of course you know what I mean but you, you I perhaps didn't articulate it very well the historical context it was very different back then with the stigmatization of single parenthood And the terrible phrase born out of wedlock, which sounds like Dickensian when you hear it now. And also that very much translates itself into my program, Long Lost Family, because it's people from that era, uh, the 60s, the 70s, and indeed the 80s. But now there are different issues. There are different challenges, aren't there?
2: Yes. And we really wanted to explore... You know, in our research, what, what contact is, what it looks like and what it means to people adopted more recently. So I would say, you know, starting in the 80s and really full on from the 90s and onwards, adoption has predominantly meant, you know, the adoption of children from the care system. So children coming into care because they've been abused or neglected or they've it's been considered that there's a risk of that happening to them. And I suppose contact means a whole range of things, but if we contrast it to what happened in the past, you know, the long-lost family type people, adopted parents wouldn't be told very much about the birth family. They wouldn't meet the birth family. Um, after the adoption, the child would have very little information available to them about who they were and why they'd been adopted. And birth family members would never hear anything from that adopted person again unless they chose to get in touch later on. So I think adoption looks really very different today in some ways. Adopted parents are given a lot more information about the birth family. They're probably given a life story book that they can look at with their child. They might be encouraged to meet members of the birth family, um, maybe just once around the time of the adoption. And then there's usually, for most children, a plan to stay in touch with one or more people in the birth family by some form or another.:
1: You said some interesting things there, Beth, I want to pick up on um, a life story book meeting members of the birth family, a plan to stay in touch. My mother was a social worker, my adoptive mother, obviously, because my adoptive mother is my mum. And she kind of was a- ahead of the curve on this stuff in 1961. And she-, she told me from early age that I was adopted because I encountered many people over the years on a long-lost family who only found out they were adopted when they were on a football trip and they had to provide their birth certificate or whatever or when their parents sat down and told them then when they were 14 or, or and and it was yeah kind of horrendous sometimes when you're you have an earthquake of your identity I was I was very lucky back then I was told from the earliest stage the younger stage age appropriate that I was adopted because my mother was a professional and she knew that was best practice I of course had the bad thing about being told I was special which is uh <laughs> That's a, a burden one has to bear. But she said to me once, Mum, and I knew the bare details. And as I got older, she told me more. But I, I was once discussing contact these days. She died about three years ago. But we were having this conversation maybe in the last 10, 15 years. And she said, The whole issue with life storybooks, meeting members of the family, staying in touch, all the things that you have. Itemized there, she says, "I'm not sure if I would have been at all comfortable with any of that going on." So, in a sense, she was in a halfway house between giving me a new identity, which she didn't do. She acknowledged my old identity; it wasn't it wasn't raise, But also, she was very concerned that that would have been my position in the family, my love for them, their love for me would have been compromised by all the things that you are talking about. Is that an emotional challenge for adoptive parents?
2: Definitely. I think a lot of adoptive parents feel anxious about their child's connection to the birth family. You know, they worry about all sorts of things. They worry about those connections you talked about. Will I feel like a real parent? Will my child love me and feel part of the family? But they also worry about, if my child's been taken away from their family because of all these worries and concerns, is it going to be dangerous? Is it going to harm my child? So I think these are normal and natural, all these concerns. But, you know, what's really interesting that's come out of our research around contact is how a lot of these anxieties have not really been proven when people have experience of contact. These things are maybe worse in the abstract, thinking about what it would be like, than actually doing it.
1: Yes, I understand that. But it's the fear of it, isn't there? It's the fear of it. So what would the circumstances be of meeting a member of the birth family? And at what age would that happen? And how would that be explained?
2: Okay, well... I think the first thing I'll say is that currently, if we just think about how adoption is um, at the moment in England, it's not usual that adopted parents and the adopted child have ongoing face-to-face contact with people in their birth family. I'd argue it could happen more common and we can maybe get to that in a minute. I think what is more common is that adoptive parents are invited to meet the birth parents around about the time the child is coming to live with them. So that would usually be something that's set up by the social workers. The adoptive parents would have a chance to think about it and be prepared to meet the parents in advance. Hopefully somebody's also doing that work with the birth parents helping them to think about maybe what questions they've got for the adopted parents, what they want to tell them about the child or about themselves. And usually there will be a social worker there to try and help that meeting go well. So that's those initial meetings. And then in in the situations where a child might have ongoing direct contact with their family, That can mean a whole range of things, but I would say mostly it's more likely to be once or twice a year than every other weekend. It's usually infrequent. It's usually still confidential in some ways. So the adoptive family and the birth family might meet at a neutral venue. They might meet at the beach or the park or the social services family centre. And they're not yet exchanging their addresses and phone numbers and things unless they feel really comfortable with that as time goes on. Um, so that, that's typically what direct contact looks like after adoption. But there's a whole range of ways of doing it that families have tried and that different things work for different people. How
1: old would a child be when this was embarked on?
2: Well, I think it works best when it's just a feature of the adoption from the beginning. So it's planned into the adoption from the start. And then for children, it's like something that has always happened. So, I mean, some adopted children are older these days anyway, and they've been used to seeing their parents regularly. So it doesn't make sense to stop it and then start it again later on. It makes more sense, I think, to keep it going, albeit in maybe a different form because the child is now in a new situation.
1: What of those people who would say, well, this makes adoptive parents glorified foster parents, is it not? And what if it is the meeting disruptive and unsettling for the child? How do you make sure that there isn't another motive or agenda?
2: Yeah, okay. So the first part of that question, does it make adopted parents like glorified foster parents? Uh, No, we haven't ever really had anybody say that to us in all our research, because what the adopted people have said to us, a bit like you said earlier, my adopted mum is my mum. They say your parents are the people, your mum and dad, they're the people who Um, put you to bed at night take you to school you live with they're 24 7 and the birth family have a different role the teenagers in our study who've grown up in more open adoptions have said to us is it makes you feel a bit closer to your parents because they're helping you make sense of your birth family and you don't have to hide that side of your identity you don't have to keep it a secret And adoptive parents almost mirror that in what they say. A lot of adoptive parents have been quite honest with us in our research and they've said, I didn't really want to do it. I wasn't sure it's a good idea. I was quite worried about it, but I was persuaded to give it a go. And then they say, actually, it does help them feel a bit closer to their child. Like they're sharing this sort of identity journey that their child is going on. They're sharing it with them. They're not waiting for that kind of knock on the door, or they're not waiting for their child to kind of run away and find their birth family. They're doing it with their child. And so it feels less threatening in a way.
1: Well, where does that journey lead?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. Actually, I think for a lot of children, because You know, most children who are adopted these days, they are under the age of four. A lot of them, they might be one or two or three. They haven't lived with their birth families maybe since they were very young or sometimes even at all. They go along to these meetings with their birth parents, or sometimes it's grandparents, brothers, or sisters, and they see them once or twice a year. So, initially, when they're very little, it's hard for them even to hold that person in mind between these very spaced out meetings. And it's like going to see somebody, maybe like a distant aunt or somebody your parents know. A lot of children, they don't really. When they've left their birth family, when they're very young, they don't necessarily relate to their birth parents as parents in these meetings. They're just people they're going to see. By the time children get to uh, certainly about six or seven, they understand, yes, these are my birth parents I'm going to see. And it takes on a different meaning, maybe. Children get a bit more interested in the meetings, or more curious, they have more questions, or they might start to get a little bit more anxious about the meetings. In the longer run, what the adopted young people we've talked to in our research have said is they still feel, although they might have seen their birth mum or birth dad a couple of times a year as they've grown up for 16 or 18 years they kind of say, how this has helped me, it is about understanding my identity. It's about knowing who my parents are, what they look like. And it's about feeling that although your parents couldn't look after you, they still care about you. So they're the kind of benefits that young people talk about from having this contact. And they've often said it doesn't really lead to a sense of having a close relationship with their birth parents. Often adopted people have said they feel quite different in some ways to their birth parent in terms of the sort of life they've led and the situation they're in. So they don't always feel they've gone on to have a close relationship or a parent-child type relationship. And then at 18, or sometimes younger, sometimes older, adopted people are then making choices about where do they want to take it. You know, some people feel, well, I've had this contact, it's helped me understand my story, it's helped me know who I am, and I want to leave it to one side for a while. As people come into adulthood, they're really preoccupied with other things, they're worrying about college, jobs, work, girlfriends, boyfriends, mental health, whatever.
1: But they're also, if I may, they're also preoccupied with not being preoccupied about this thing. Well, that was, that was certainly the case with me.
2: Exactly. Um, that's the difference. They, those questions that adopted people have, they feel they've had the answer to. So now they want to maybe move on and think about other things. A lot of people say, well, I don't want to shut the door. On these kind of connections. I might want to come back to it a bit later, but I want to leave it for a bit now. Other people do want to take it a bit further and say, well, I've had this kind of distant connection, but now I think it would be good to really get to know each other a bit more. So it can lead in all sorts of directions. I think we have seen where contact is with brothers and sisters and grandparents, it does tend to lead more to something that's like a family-like connection. So there's that kind of difference between the contact with the parents and contact with grandparents and siblings.
1: I infer from what you're saying that it can be incredibly, well, it is, inc- I've seen this so often, the the misery and the sorrow etched on um, a woman in her 70s, in her 80s, on her face, Uh, made worse by the fact that she had no idea what happened to her child. There is that. But again and again, the trauma, different circumstances now perhaps prevail, but the trauma back then of having to give her child up for adoption, I mean, that surely never leaves a woman. And if a woman is in the situation whereby every so often she's meeting a birth child, that must and surely can be incredibly painful for her.
2: I think it is incredibly painful, but I don't think what what birth mums and also birth dads and grandparents say to us is at least you can see the child's okay. You can see what they look like now. You can see them growing up. Um it helps that loss. It doesn't take away that loss. It doesn't take away that pain, but it makes it easier to bear because you're not worrying, you know, where are they? How are they? Even, you know, are they alive? Have they died? Are they happy? It, all those questions can be answered to some extent. You go home after that contact meeting and you leave your child with other people who they're calling mum and dad. And that, you know, that is painful. But it's also, I think when when the contact works really well, it's a real comfort to um, birth family members and a real island of positivity and, and hope and joy in their lives as well.
1: Can it be disruptive if somebody is in that situation and realises that they regret that it ever happened in the first place. Uh, unintentionally or, or or intentionally disruptive, you must have come across, albeit in a tiny minority of cases, incidences such as those.
2: Yeah, I think we've learned a lot about when when contact is good for children and when it's not, because I think it, and who it's with.
1: The nature of their life at that particular time.
2: So... I think the most important message I'm always trying to put across about contact is think about the quality. Um, So, you know, it's how the adults handle it is really, really important. So if we think about birth parents who've had their children taken away, you know, that that's a dreadful experience. Most people feel really angry, really ashamed, really guilty, awful, devastated. And I think if all those feelings are taken into the contact situation and sort of put on the adopted parents or put on the child, that makes for a very uncomfortable situation. Um, But actually, a lot of parents are able to put those feelings to one side when they see their child. Sometimes it's the fact that they're allowed to continue to see their child that enables birth family members to move on from some of those feelings. If you feel you've still got a bit of a role in your child's life, if you feel that your child's adoptive parents are sort of welcoming you in, it helps birth parents put those feelings to one side. But certainly, you know, where parents remain implacably opposed and angry to the adoption and they want to really express that, I don't think that's um, a great situation for the child to be experiencing.
1: So are they vetted?
2: Yes, yes. So I think, you know, social workers uh, make the plans. Hopefully, um, they're looking at, first of all, what does the child need? Not just what do they need right now, um, but what are they going to need when they're 15, 25, 35? Thinking about those lifelong identity issues. Um, So they're thinking about what the child needs. Hopefully they're thinking about who in the birth family is going to be the best person or people to stay in touch with the child. So that might be based on who is most important to the child but also who in the birth family has the capacity to really support that child as a member of their adoptive family, to answer these identity questions, to reassure the child that, yes, you know, their birth family do care about them, do think about them, haven't rejected them. So, you know, that's what I'm always saying to practitioners. You really need to assess those things. Um, But it's also really important how adoptive parents approach the contact, how open they are in their mind to just the idea that their child has this other family and that other family is important to the child. How undefensive they can be about that is really, really important. So often, you know, what we've looked at a lot in our research is the dynamics between adoptive parents and birth parents so sometimes you know we've had situations which haven't really looked very promising at the beginning because maybe birth mum is very angry and upset and resistant to the idea of her child being adopted but she meets her child's adoptive parents and they're really warm and welcoming and reassuring and saying, look, we're not going to cut you out of the picture. We're not going to airbrush you out. We're always going to talk about you. We're going to let our child, you you know, know about you and we want to stay in touch with you. Then, you know, we see shifts in the birth parents dynamics. So I think we have to think about how the adults handle it. If the adults are tense, upset, angry oppositional to each other is it's difficult experience for the child but we also have to think about the nature of the child's connection to whoever it is in the birth family they're seeing and is that a good relationship has that been a really difficult relationship has it been an abusive relationship so um you know I think where children have been really particularly frightened of a parent they've been badly abused by a parent and there's a lot of fear in that relationship that's not necessarily a scenario where I would be recommending children have this um, ongoing face-to-face contact it has to be assessed in every case
1: Sure, but what if uh, there's no danger, but a a birth parent is, um, as we all are at times, and heaven knows what it must be like in a situation like this, needy?
2: Well, a lot of birth parents are needy in some ways. Again, I think it's it's important what capacity have the adoptive parents to um, to manage this, but also what support does the birth parent have for this contact because it is very emotional it does reawaken loss it's a nerve-wracking event really to go along and see your child so it's really important that parents have somebody to talk to beforehand I think maybe to think about what's it going to be like today maybe to kind of get up to speed with actually who their child is now if a year's gone by A parent needs to know what is their child into now, you know, what are they watching on TV, what are they thinking about, what are they playing. So parents need some time to to prepare for the meeting and to maybe just get their feelings uh, out before they go along to the contact meeting. And then they need somebody, sometimes they need somebody afterwards to take them home and say oh how did it go and how you, how are you feeling and make them a cup of tea and that could be a family member it could be a social worker or a support worker so i think when parents are very needy how we support the contact is really important because it is it's so emotional for everybody the these meetings can be so emotional but you know you're balancing it against Um, boy is it really emotional not to have the contact I mean you see that all the time in long lost family don't you Mm.
1: and one of the big things about long lost family because of the mystery the mystery I had in my life uh, sort of floating around and all the questions I had the the bare facts I mean mum told me as much as she could and as much as she knew but it's who do I look like and who looks like me how important is the physical aspect of things that the resemblance the, the the how important is that to a young person
2: yeah I think the questions that adopted people have often change and evolve as they grow so when we talk to the adopted children in our longitudinal study and they were kind of six seven eight they a lot of them had questions around well I want to know what she looks like and is her hair color the same as mine and what's her what was her favorite subject at school they had these very sort of hard and fast questions that were often about appearance or I remember one boy saying um I just wish I knew what my brother's voice sounded like Um, So I think those physical things are really important and so it's important that children have pictures of their birth family but as they grow up the questions become much more layered and it moves from who are they and what do they look like to why couldn't I stay with them and you know younger kids will accept quite a simpler explanation like your mum couldn't cope Um, she had some problems and they say oh okay and then you know when they're 15 they're like well what problems and why did that mean she couldn't keep me so the questions keep changing and evolving and I think that why question comes in and often what's behind it I mean we're, we're doing a study at the moment with adopted adults who've had their own children and that's fascinating and I think what a lot of people are telling us in this study is behind that why question is really a series of other questions. Didn't they want me? And it's those feelings of, of rejection uh, and loss that are often underneath, and people need an answer to. And if you never hear anything from your birth family again after adoption, you might think, well, do they ever think about me? Did they care about me? Are they glad to, they got rid of me?
1: Yes, you mentioned you're going to expand on the letterbox contact. So just tell me a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked me about that because actually currently that's the kind of most common form of contact that is planned for adopted children. So this is where um, adopted parents will write a letter to somebody in the birth family, often the birth mum, sometimes the dad, grandparents, and that will go to the social services who will then pass it on to the birth parent and then hopefully the birth parent will write back so uh and children you know a, a letter doesn't mean a lot to a young child but as they get older it's good to i think involve children in this process in writing letters and reading the letters and things so that's the basic idea of letterbox contact but what we've found in our research is that actually is incredibly tricky to to get this working to get really a sense of dialogue and communication between the adoptive family and the birth family it's really tricky because i mean nobody really writes letters anymore do they and it, it's such an emotional Um, you know, adopted parents have got all sorts of questions about, well, what do I say? Do I tell the birth parents that, you know, we've been to Disneyland this year? Is that just rubbing their noses in it because we know they haven't got a lot of money or, um, you know, they don't know what to say and birth parents don't know what to say back because they've still got all these issues of loss and they're still so upset and, they don't know, they know what they want to say, but maybe can't put it in words. And people have got problems with actually literacy and writing. And so it's a really tricky form of of contact. So it's something I'm often talking to professionals about, just about thinking, is this the only way to do it? Are there other ways to do it? You know, could people actually um, connect more using something like, Email. You know, it's faster. It doesn't go through a third party, but you can remain anonymous if you want to. And I think that's an area where people are starting to experiment with different ways that contact could look like. You know, the Nuffield Family Justice Observatory published a a kind of short briefing about the work they've been doing around digital methods of staying in touch in adoption.
0: How
1: much of a problem is social media in the sense of, you know, a couple of clicks and you can, you're can you there, really?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a problem. It's also an opportunity. So I think we need to think about both sides of it. So I think what we've seen over the last... 10 years, maybe a little bit more in adoption, is that where adopted people and birth family members haven't had formal contact that's been set up and they've got all these unanswered questions about each other, they've got different ways of finding out about each other now. So people search on Facebook. I mean, adopted kids nowadays, they usually have the full name of their birth parents so they can just search the internet and look on social media and things so I think what we've seen is where where people connect on social media and they haven't had any sort of other form of connection over the years that can go quite wrong um, I think the things that can go wrong is, as you mentioned, Nikki, the speed at which people can connect is like, you know, you find them on Facebook, you send a message, and you're speaking on video call straight away. So that people can, it can be a bit of a runaway train. The other real danger is that um, where I think adopted people have felt adoption and the birth family is not really something they can talk about easily with their adoptive parents they're sometimes having this connection with their birth family without telling their adoptive parents so they haven't got that support to say slow down a bit think about this I'll come with you to meet them let me help you So I think when it's when it's sudden, when it's out of the blue, when it's driven by these strong unmet needs and when it's not supported by adopted parents, it can sometimes run a bit out of control. But we've also seen lots of examples where maybe people have had letters, you know, perhaps letterbox contact People have maybe had letters, or they've had these occasional meetings, and they feel this form of contact has got them so far, but it's a bit limited. And actually, nowadays, we all regularly tend to connect with friends and family on things like WhatsApp, FaceTime, Facebook, whatever. So a lot of adopted people have said, actually, it's really great that I can just be friends with my brother on Facebook or. You know, my granddad, we, we can WhatsApp each other. It's much more natural and normal than these letters that go through social services. I guess the other way social media is is an opportunity is where we have had people who've asked for help to get in touch with their family. They haven't had that help has not been responded to. So they found them on Facebook and they're like, well, thank goodness for Facebook because I have found them. And nobody else was listening to me and nobody else was helping me. So I'm glad at least I had this way of getting in touch with them. So there's lots and lots of sides to it. But I think it does really change the nature of adoption that, you know, in the 60s, it was possible to cut off contact with the birth family. Now it's much less possible. So it's much more important. Well, it's always been important that we address adopted people's identity needs. Um it's so important that we try and learn from everything we've learned from adoptees in the past and build it into adoption, that we respect people's identities and relationships and not cut them off.
1: So what hope what help is there out there? What support is there to help guide families through this? I don't know. I was going to say minefield. It's not a minefield because your research has really been uh, enlightening and that it has showed us you know, all the positives many of which perhaps would not have would not have occurred to people um and the fact that it's it's also a a, a collegiate uh, business you know everyone's in it together yes
2: yeah, well, I think first of all i'd say that most you know most contact um arrangements these days are supported by the adoption agencies they're mostly not what some people will call fully disclosed so you're not contacting the birth family yourself and they're not coming around your house it's kind of mediated and you've got that level of protection which I think is important to a lot of people in the beginning at least Going back to the start of the journey for people who are thinking about adoption, you should have the opportunity to learn more about contact and what it looks like and what it might mean at the stage of going through adoption preparation. So I think adoption preparation courses include lots of discussion about contact.
1: And what if somebody said an adoptive parent prospective adoptive parent would say i don't want to 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 have any of the contact i mean i'll tell them about the, the circumstances of their birth family but i don't want to have any of these meetings would would that be a firm no thank you
2: i think nowadays there is pretty much a consensus that you know almost every adopted child is likely to have a plan to stay in touch with somebody in their birth families. I think the work that social workers are doing is actually trying to help adoptive parents, you know, prospective adoptive parents, reflect on that position. But
1: if somebody was going through the adoption process and it's necessarily, you know, rigorous to find out if somebody is appropriate, adopt it if somebody's going through the adoption process if if you were assessing me and I would just say well I'd love, love to adopt a child uh, but I, I'm not going to have any I'm, I'm going to make sure they don't have any contact with their birth family surely I would be figuratively speaking drummed out of the building wouldn't I?
2: I think yeah I don't think that position is sustainable in 2021 because of everything we know about what adopted children need and Also, I think something that's come out so importantly in my research and in other people's research is that contact is one thing, the actual maybe letters or phone calls or meetings you have with the birth family is one thing, but we can also think about how open our adoptive parents to thinking and talking about the meaning of adoption for their child, empathising with their child as an adopted person, and every single adopted child needs adopted parents who can do that to some extent i would argue so you know I, personally i think it's a deal breaker if people really are implacably opposed to contact but i think we have to take people on a journey because it's a very common starting point why would i want to do that we have to help people understand why and that involves actually listening to what people are anxious about and letting people explore that and You know, I think what can be really helpful for people who are thinking about adoption is to listen to the experiences of adopted young people, adopted adults, why it's important to them. Listen to the experiences of birth parents, maybe meet some birth parents, because it's very easy to have a frightening kind of picture in your mind about what sort of parent has their child taken away and and put up for adoption. Um, Most birth parents, if you meet them, are much more sympathetic people than maybe they look on reports that are going to the court. So... I think hearing from adoptive people, hearing from birth parents, talking to other adoptive parents who've had positive experiences of contact and can talk about the benefits and talk about how they managed it. I think, you know, we need to really help adoptive parents to understand, feel confident that they can manage it, feel confident that it's not going to negatively affect their relationship with their child that it might benefit their relationship with their child so it's not as simple as adoptive parents saying oh I don't really like that okay you're out the door there's a lot of work that social workers are doing and need to do to kind of take people on a journey so they understand why and they feel positive about giving it a go
1: this is all so fascinating. It really is. So I suppose every child is different, obviously. Every child is different as to what age, what is age appropriate, right? And also every child's circumstances will inform that decision.
2: Yes. So I think, you know, it's really important to find out to the child who, who are the people that they're really they really don't want to lose a connection with. And this is where I think brothers and sisters are so important. For children who've lived with their brothers and sisters and, and love them and played with them, sometimes they are split up because of adoption. And it might be much more important to the child that they can continue to see their sister or their brother than it might be to continue to see their parent. Um, or it might be that their grandparents have been really involved in their lives. And I think the other connections we really need to think about is often when children move to adoption, their most significant relationships are with their foster families. So also we don't, we shouldn't be chopping off those relationships suddenly. For some kids, a lot of kids, their foster parents are the only kind of safe family they've experienced in their life. And there's brothers and sisters in those families as well and pets. And we need to really think about loss in adoption, I suppose. You know, adopted children have a lot to gain by being adopted, but they lose a lot as well. And the more we can minimise the losses, the more that maximises all the benefits of adoption. So I think, yeah, who who is important To children, and then I think as adopted people grow, what's always fascinated me in my research and all the research with adopted people is the huge variation amongst adopted people. That I think I would say almost all adopted people have some level of interest in these questions about who am I where do I come from why was I adopted but for some people that's something that crosses their mind from time to time but they don't stress about it too much they're mildly curious and at the other end of the spectrum there's people it consumes them it's like uh, one young lad in our study said it's like a burn I feel it every day it's like a burn
1: Ah, oh, this interesting thing there is that sometimes somebody can be in a situation where genuinely and sincerely they it crosses their mind now and again and i 've seen this so often beth it's it crosses their mind now and again it's that they're as you put it mildly mildly curious um, but then they get contacted by i'm back in long lost family world now they get contacted by the program and they start to think about it and i if I had a pan for every time i i 've heard I didn't realise how important this was to me.
2: Yeah. So I think those positions as well are not fixed. They change over time. So one thing we're seeing in our current study with adopted adults who've had their own kids is becoming a mum or a dad is often a massive trigger to think more around all these adoption related issues. I was reading an interview today with with a dad and he said, just looked at his newborn son and and thought how could this ever have happened to me that's me
1: that's my life that's my life when I when I held my daughter after the emergency cesarean and I was first to hold her and I all of a sudden I I looked into the, the mists of time
2: yeah so it's all sorts of different life events um adoptive parents dying is another big trigger for people because it's those feelings have been there, but they've wanted to keep them down or suppressed, or they haven't wanted to upset their adopted parents. So we have to think, yeah, everybody's different, but we also have to think, um, and what they're saying now might be not how they feel forever. One interesting pattern we've seen in our study is For some older children who are adopted, maybe five, six, seven-year-olds, they're adopted and most of their contact is cut off. They don't see their parents anymore. They'll often sort of accept that for a few years. Even, you know, we've talked to kids who've kind of really rejected their birth parents when they're eight or nine. They've said, well, they've got nothing to do with me and I don't need to see them anymore. They're not my family That's
1: the defence mechanism sometimes, isn't it?
2: Yeah, the defence mechanism. And then they get to their teenage years and all the questions about identity come up and all the hormones are raging. And suddenly they're like, yes, I do need to know. And where are they? And why haven't I seen my parents? And I think often it's where those feelings are really pushed down is where they come out in an explosive way in the teenage years. And people are looking on Facebook or they're pushing their adoptive parents away because they've had all these unmet needs and feelings about their birth families. And I think what we've seen in contrast with the kids who've kept up having contact, even if it's just this quite minimal level, once or twice a year a meeting, they don't have to push those feelings right down in the same way. They deal with them a little bit by bit as they grow up so by the time we spoke to them when they're 18 they're saying well i feel like i've dealt with a lot of this now
1: i think it's interesting for everybody as well whether they've got no connection to adoption although most people do one way or another and they know somebody or whatever i think it's it's just it's so fascinating um because it's a uh, an essential part of the human condition all this um what uh just two more thoughts um where should the meeting take place i'm thinking bad place uh, a stuffy back office with plastic chairs and that's not a good place that's what is a good place
2: well you've answered the question about what's a bad place for sure i think uh it, again it depends on the situation i think initially a lot of people uh, feel safer meeting on neutral territory So I mean some social services venues are are really nice and comfortable uh, so that could be an option. Sometimes it's quite helpful if you think about what the kids enjoy in terms of a day out to go somewhere where there's something the children can do because actually a lot of these contact meetings there are they're actually about the adults chatting like if you go with your uh, parents to see your auntie and uncle, the adults will taught You want to go off and play with the other kids. You want to have something to do. So child-friendly venues, which are maybe a bit kind of contained, but there's something for the kids to do. Even little kids, just swings they can play on or a walk on the beach or something. So it feels a bit more natural and relaxed. But it does depend on the situation. There might be some contact situations where people really need a more contained environment. They need to feel safe in like a family centre with a social worker there. A lot of people do go for that neutral venue. And then I think some people, when they really establish a level of trust, when the adoptive parents feel they've got a good understanding with the birth parents or the grandparents and they can trust them they you know they want to meet on home territory
1: the adoptive parents home ever an option
2: yeah some people do invite the birth family to their home and they feel quite comfortable with that and that's very common also with with sibling contact when brothers or sisters are in another adoptive family or in a foster family or sometimes with grandparents, it can work to meet in the house because that's just natural and comfortable, and that's where families do tend to meet. But I think when when people don't meet in the house, just finding ways to make it feel a bit family like is helpful.
1: Wonderful, so interesting. Um, so, finally, advice what's the advice you'd give to a adoptive parents who are thinking about birth family contact and, and having that openness because they know it's the right thing to do but it's also a difficult thing to do?
2: Okay I think first of all don't worry that it's going to stop you being a family. I think the contact with the birth family you need to think of it as something that is going to be helpful for you because all those questions that adopted children have you are going to be the people answering them. And if you've got that contact with the birth family, it's going to help you have the answers to those questions. If you've met the birth parents, you can tell your child uh, what they look like and what they seem like and what you learned about them. If If you're getting letters from them every year, you really need to use that to open up those conversations with your child, which can be quite awkward. When and how do you bring... The birth family up. When and how do you bring adoption up? If you're getting letters from the birth family and you're writing letters, you can use it to start those conversations. Say to your child, "Well, it's time to write a letter to your birth mom. And is there anything you've been wondering about this year that you want to ask her, or have you got any questions?" Or, and when you get the letter back, sit down with your child, go through it with them, ask them how they feel about it, so they know they can talk to you about adoption. So I think see the contact as a tool that you can use to help your child deal with all these issues related to the adoption. And that is going to help you connect more to your child. I think another thing I'd say, sorry, Nikki, I can go on a lot. um, Don't You know, when you're going to adopt a child, you're probably thinking about this baby or this toddler or this five-year-old. Just project into the future and think about them when they're 15. Think about them when they're 25. Think about them as an adult and think, I want them as an adult to feel good about themselves, to know who their birth family are, not to have all these identity problems and questions and negative feelings about adoption and think about how you're going to help them get there and so that is about being open yourself and undefensive adoptive parents are the main people who are going to help their adopted child deal with all these issues around adoption so birth family contact is not a threat it's an opportunity and We've seen that in a lot of our research with adoptive parents that where the contact falls away and doesn't work out when their kids get older they're often quite desperate for it and they're asking for help to get the contact started again because they can't answer these questions without it. So I think try and put yourself in in the child's shoes and feel what does it feel like to be adopted and how can you use birth family contact to to support your child.
1: Well, Beth, you've answered loads of questions. Thank you very much.
2: You're very welcome. Thanks. For it's been really interesting to talk to you about it, Nikki.
1: Likewise. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of You Can Adopt. Listen out for more new episodes coming up. And if you haven't already, check out the first 6 episodes that cover many different and interesting stories from adoptive families. For more information and to take the first step towards growing your family, visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. PAC-UK is the country's largest independent adoption support agency and works with all of those affected by adoption and other forms of permanent care to provide advice, support, specialist therapy and counselling. For more information, please visit www.pac-uk.org, that's p-a-c-u-k.org, or call 020-7284-5879.